1: Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by me, Alison Balance. A few weeks ago, we visited the Sound Lab at Massey University to hear about acoustic research with Wyatt Page. Among other things, we talked about the loud headphone volume that some people use and how that damages hearing. This week, Wyatt and I joined fellow noise expert Stuart McLaren on a visit to the Polly High Child Care Centre on the Massey University Wellington campus. Now anyone who's ever visited a preschool knows how excited and loud children can be and we joined Centre Supervisor Sue Ransfield to talk about some of the issues and what they're doing to combat excess noise.
2: Come through, this is our preschool room. We have up to 25 children in this space. This so, and we've created a new room
1: out here. Oh, so it's a lovely outdoor room.
2: It is, and we love it. And it's safety matting underneath, which is absorbing a lot of the noise that we've had in the past. So we've created this room to try and decrease the noise level, and it's working really, really well. And we found that when we first created this space, it was just a concrete floor, and that the noise just echoed and bounced off the roof and the ground and it was just too noisy and since we put the safety matting underneath and then the astro turf on top the children are using up more in the teachers because it's not so noisy and it's a lot warmer as well yeah
1: so i'll just get used to it tell me a bit about the issue of Sound and childcare centres?
3: Well, as you can see, this is a very busy sound and, of course, children have been children. You want them to interact and play and so forth and this is part of their learning, is interaction and doing things with each other. So noise, of course, is a consequence of it and so we need to do things which will have the benefit of the type of education that they do have but in ways that we can mitigate noise levels just for the benefit of the children to, but not to uh, degrade their learning experience as well.
1: So what are we aiming for? In a, in a good sound environment, without putting numbers on it, what's your aim?
3: Noise should not be the level which unduly interferes with speech or communication nor cause any child attending distress or harm. And what, the reason for that is those children who have special education needs, particularly those on the autistic spectrum, those with hearing impairment, and those range of disabilities, you know, that uh, they are very often very severely affected by noise. And that really encourages teachers to say, well, if we've got these children in the centre, they make provision for them. And, uh, you know, teachers do this very well, in my opinion.
1: So how long are the kids here for? They're here for quite a few hours well, each some
2: day? Some are here for 10 hours a day. Mm. And how do you as an adult find the noise level? Before we incorporated that space, it was sometimes just overbearing, and teachers would get quite stressed out, and it would go flow on to the children as well. And at some point, sometimes children were covering their ears because it was so loud, and we've made... Changes in the kitchen as well because we've got the kitchen in the main play area, play space. So the chef is aware when it's a quiet time not to have loud, loud things happening like the um, making the baby mash and things like that. So she's aware of the noise level as well. So Wyatt, tell me a little bit about children's hearing versus
1: adult hearing you know do they have the same hearing as us
0: no the the development of hearing is is progressive in terms of the sort of naught to 2 uh, uh, year age group onto there it takes about that long for the actual ear mechanism to mature and then you've got the internal processing from there till about 12 year olds, it takes that long before they're fully mature in terms of the ability to listen, particularly in terms of noisy environments Often they're described as immature listeners, which means they have difficulty communicating if there's a lot of background noise, they can't easily screen that out um, It's a common issue of course when we get older as well, uh, that we have difficulties in screening it out, but w- when you're a child it's, it's particularly difficult, and it's not till they get to about 12 that you could say that most will be characterised as mature listeners, and so during that period it's really important that you can keep those noise levels down. It helps them with their communication, particularly if, for example, I don't know how many here that have English as a second language, that maybe they're, they're not initially speaking English uh, at home all the time. It makes a significant difference if you can reduce that noise. And one of the most effective things is to reduce the occupant density, to make sure there is more space between the kids. So having these indoor-outdoor spaces, you know, the effect here is to spread the children out, and that has a huge impact in reducing the noise.
1: I'm just laughing because behind you there's two, three kids making lots of noise but they're actually putting their hands over their ears at the same time. Should we just go
2: somewhere quieter I think? Okay, (laughs) yeah. We can go into the middle room that's more or less our quieter room.
0: So presumably this was a converted space. It wasn't purpose-built. No. And that is really typical of many childhood centres, um, certainly ones that have been around a while, is they are converted spaces. And usually that means that as part of that conversion, they've usually got hard surfaces because one of the things around these is to be able to clean them, hygiene issues and those sorts of things. And the problem with hard surfaces is they bounce sound around, very, it's very, very concrete real concrete floors. floors. Yeah. Um, and so what you see in here... There isn't any acoustic treatment on the no. ceiling. Um, it's a space that would definitely, I suspect, benefit from, particularly on wet wet days where you've got rain and so forth occurring on here. You know, putting acoustic treatment on the ceilings is the most effective, and it's an area where acoustics can't get to, so you don't have those hygiene, safety issues. So you know, when we're recommending treatment, it's always do the ceilings first. Mm-hmm. You get the biggest benefit if you, oh. if you can mm-hmm. So what's acoustic treatment? Uh, Generally speaking, we're talking putting a material on it um, that's able to absorb the sound um, rather than reflect it. Typical surfaces like we're we're standing on, hard surfaces, probably 90% of the sound energy gets bounced back at you or bounced around. You put an acoustic blanket on there and it'll absorb 90% of that sound. So that means less than 10% of that sound energy gets bounced back into the venue or into the space. And that makes a huge difference in the ability to reduce that sound level. And one of the things is when you get people in spaces, whether kids or adults or whatever, you start with a couple of people having a conversation, it gets a little bit noisier. And so what people naturally do is raise their voices, which, of course, means that the background noise goes up and you raise your voice commonly called the cafe effect or Lombard effect. So if you put acoustic treatment in, the first thing it does is dampen down that room. It means you don't feel you need to raise your voice, and that's a, you know, what really we're talking about acoustic treatment in these spaces is able to do for you.
1: Now, Stuart, you did your PhD on this whole subject of noise yes. and, and childcare centres. Can you just tell me a bit more about
3: what you were looking at? They they'd done a lot of work on noise in schools, but then we found this huge hole that was uh, nobody was looking at childcare centres, and we knew that these places were noisy. I was a father at the time of a very young uh, special needs child who had major issues in childcare centres. So it was a good to be uh, to be led into these places, and uh, it was everything sort of came together very nicely. We looked at the general noise devils.
1: Well, We'll just have to pause you there for a second. What's that? That's
2: our um, water. <laughs> so when we turn the tap on outside, that's the water coming through the pipes. Oh, oh so some oh.
1: unexpected noise.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it'll go off in a minute. <laughs> so there's lots of different noises in childcare centres.
0: Yeah. Uh, and again on that, it's people don't normally think of plumbing and services as sources of noise, but at least a perfect example. And there are effective acoustic treatments that enable you to eliminate. I think that's probably more of a design fault than anything else but, but having said that, noise running of water running through pipes can be quite loud. What we did we put little dose badges on the children
3: and these are little um, occupation badges and we just measured the sort of noise levels that they were receiving in some of these places of course. We also did some work with teachers too to make sure that uh, it is was, was an occupational issue for them as well, they're in these places but we did find some ex- very very high levels with uh, some, some of the children, what they're faced with was quite a- alarming, really. You know.
1: So, what kind of levels are we talking about compared to what are normal ambient levels that are considered acceptable for adults?
3: Well, we were getting even higher in some cases. You know, which was quite alarming. See, the thing was, many of the children spend were spending many hours in these places too, and so we were getting some very, very high levels as well.
1: So, what are standard occupational exposures to noise? What's considered acceptable?
3: Well, it's an 85 dB average, an average level of 85 dB over an eight-hour working down. That's averaged over that time. And we also have a thing called uh, an impulse or an impact-type sound, and that is, you imagine a door slamming or somebody hitting a piece of um, concrete outside with a hammer and you get that sharp impact sound like a, like a hammer or a gun going off, that, and that is uh, maximum 140 dB for a split second. It is quite a different measure. That will cause instant and permanent damage
1: but overall, you think things are getting better? You think things are being better managed? Oh, I think managed? so, yes.
3: I think so. Um, you know, the studies we've done have raised a lot of concern, and then teachers like like Sue here, have taken it on board, and you can see the work that's been done here, which is very, um, very pleasing. i
2: more aware of hmm. noise level now, whereas in the past we hmm. didn't really think about it.
3: And we've certainly seen a, an improvement in the law. I mean, we have this uh, criteria now. In the early childhood services regulations, we have a law which specifically sort of, you know, uh, is around the management of noise and also the accompanying criteria. As uh, uh, we actually have something in there now, which is far better than what we ever had before. Uh, it would be nice if we could get that in schools as well. You know? And uh, I, I'm a great believer in uh, working with the staff and the teachers. They are professional people. And I can tell you about a case that happened in Auckland that they were teaching the children drumming, and the noise was unbelievable. And they were literally getting drumsticks, and they put little chairs up, and they were hitting the, the chairs where you could imagine the noise that occurred. And all I did, I went around the centre and found some little cushions and I put them on the seats and we tried it again. So little things like that can make a huge difference.
2: Leontae, this is Alison who would like to talk to you about our proposal regarding our bricks. Okay.
1: Okay. Hi, Hi Alison. The Hi there.
2: So what's going on? Um, So we are trying to become more sustainable as a centre and we are using all of the children's old discarded artworks and we are shredding paper and we are making bricks out of them. And the purpose of making
1: the bricks, what are you going to do with those?
2: Um, We are planning on making um, some panels and we are looking at how we can decrease the noise levels within the centre.
0: They look like paper that's been uh, shredded and, and then presumably soaked in water in some binder and then you put them in a press, is it? Or you've got a fun sort of mould and put, put, them, put them through it? Um, I'm, I am guess I'm sitting here tapping it to see what it sounds like. And my my subjective impression without doing some measurements is it's got a reasonable sound absorption coefficient. And if I tap it on one side and listen on the other, it's well damped, which is always a good thing if I contrast that to to, to, to this piece of wood in front of it. It's a very... It's a very different sort of sound. So I suspect um, it's going to have some you know, reasonable sound absorption properties.
1: Is that the best it could be, with be ways of improving it? Well,
0: I I guess one of the key things to get good sound absorption is the way sound absorption generally works uh, is the sound energy, which is the air essentially vibrating, goes into whatever it is, so you need it to be a bit more porous. Mm. You actually want the sound to be able to get into the air and it bounces around and it actually heats up the block, believe it or not. The way generally sound disappears is that the vibration of of the air essentially gets dissipated as heat, so it gets a little bit warmer, not that you realistically measure it. But that's how most things work. So making it a bit more porous, Mm. so getting a bit more air less compression, if you could do it would make a significant difference Mm. because that allows the sound to penetrate actually go into the pores of the block and therefore bounce around and be absorbed.
1: Great, thank you.
0: If you're going to put it onto a panel one of the things is not to actually put it hard against each other, actually having some an air gap between them, that actually helps because that's another opportunity for the sound to go into there and bounce around because these have got some depth, they've got some, some thickness so you can get sound absorption down the side um, probably one of the th- key things about it would be not to paint them um, a dye would be fine because mm. it's not going to fill in the pores, mm. uh, but typically what happens, people often with acoustic surf, um, surfaces that get a bit you know, tired, they paint them, and unfortunately that generally means that the sound can't actually go into the surface and, and do its job. So it sounds
1: like there's some good work underway and oh. the only thing that needs some work is your pipes. For sure, <laughs> for sure.
2: We'll look into that next.
1: Thanks to Sue and Leonte from the High Child Care Centre, and acoustic researchers Wyatt Page and Stuart McLaren from the School of Public Health at Massey University in Wellington. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. Mate wa.